Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. The Governor of the Commonwealth, Andy Bashir, is with us today. All three branches of state government are now involved in the question surrounding the governor's executive power in an emergency. Bashir launched a legal challenge after the Republican-dominated legislature overrode his vetoes of bills that would restrict what a governor can do in emergency situations. A judge has put that law on hold for now. Republicans are also indicating they may pass a leaner budget than the $12 billion spending plan proposed by the governor. The legislature may also clarify rules about historical racing after the Red Mile and some others responded to a court ruling and closed down machines that brought in billions of dollars. And the teacher's pension issue is returning to Frankfurt with a new bill that would change retirement options and timelines for future teachers. After nearly a year of dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic, Governor Bashir joins us today on Kentucky Newsmakers. Governor, appreciate you being with us. Thanks for having me again, Bill. You have uh, taken the legislature to court. You have won a temporary injunction over the uh, new laws that uh, have been passed that would curtail your power and uh, that of future governors for that matter. Why do you hope the legal system eventually rules in your favor? Well, to me, this isn't about uh, Andy Bashir or the governor winning or losing. It's about continuing to keep our people safe during this pandemic and saving lives. Currently, Kentucky is recognized as one of the top 10 states in, in keeping people alive during COVID. We're, we're, we have the 10th lowest mortality rate in the entire country, which means we're doing things right. Uh, but the bills passed by the legislature, in, in the words of the judge who, who heard this action, would throw all that into chaos. Instead of clear rules, which we have, which some like and, and some don't, but at least you know what they are, uh, we would substitute uh, CDC guidelines when those aren't defined. Just yesterday, there were 174 CDC guidance documents online. Uh, and I was reading the other day about a, even a business that, that doesn't agree with some of the things that I've had to do has no idea what they would do under those guidelines. We have to have clear, consistent policy if we're going to defeat a pandemic that doesn't care about our politics. And that's what the Supreme Court ruled a couple months ago. Do you believe that the, the power within state government is clearly laid out in the Constitution or can the legislature assign and take away power from the executive branch uh, as, as they see fit? I think several months ago, the Supreme Court uh, pretty clearly in its decision when the attorney general challenged the orders I put in talked about the emergency response being constitutional. Here's what they said. They said our system creates a part-time legislature but a full-time governor. And the idea that a part-time legislature would be tasked with emergencies like a one in every 100-year pandemic, when they're not even allowed to meet more than 60 days one year and 30 days uh, another year, it doesn't make sense. And they said the Constitution makes the governor the, the commander-in-chief, and he or she needs to be empowered uh, to make these decisions. And, and Bill, that's important because the decisions that I have to make often aren't popular. And being the governor and being in this place does give me uh, the ability to make unpopular decisions. And yes, it may have an impact uh, on my future, but my job right now is to get us through this with as few casualties as we can. Uh, that's more important to me than, than Democrat or Republican or, or any future run for office. And I think that's why we, we put this power uh, in the governor's hands. 
Governor, as you know, uh, Republican lawmakers have said that they weren't consulted and that they didn't have the answers when their constituents uh, back home would pelt them with, uh, with questions. Could this have been a different scenario if they had been kept better informed, there was some input uh, from them on your directives, or was this a clash that was inevitable in the politically divisive time we find ourselves in? Well, there has been significant input from legislators. Over these 11 months, we've testified in front of committees, and that's what you do to update the legislature. And they get to ask questions. They can ask you to bring documents. We testified over 40 times on COVID for more than uh, 30 hours. A significant amount of back and forth where they got to ask Dr. Stack or any of the other experts anything they'd like and, and to get the data uh, that, that they need. Uh, we never turned down uh, a meeting with the legislature. We, we did in one instance say, we don't want to send Dr. Stack alone. We'd like for somebody uh, to come with them, but we've been willing to collaborate. And, and your viewers know that almost every day at four, we also provide a full update available to the public and the legislature because my number one directive is to serve the public. And we have a website that has more data than has ever been available during a pandemic. I remember a legislator asking me, well, um, where's your data on schools? And my answer was kycovid19.ky.gov, where you can look up total number of students that have been positive or quarantined. You can look it up by your school district and you can look it up by individual schools. So there's a lot of information out there for people, but you have to be willing to look for it. Do you acknowledge that maybe you did not have enough time to, uh, to communicate uh, with lawmakers before you were uh, making some of these decisions? I mean, it, was that part of the, the scenario? There were many decisions being made very quickly, especially early on. Well, they, these are battlefield decisions and in the order and the rank of groups that I had to consult with. Uh, we were in regular contact with the White House, which supported virtually all of the decisions that we made. We were in regular consultation with our local health departments, with our county judges, with our uh, Department for, for Public Health. Uh, and so when you're crunched with time, I was certainly gonna talk to the public health experts because we gotta put public health over politics and, and they're the folks who know it. This may prove to be an outlier in the legislature, we'll see, but there is one bill that's now been filed that says even the legislature couldn't ever enact a mask mandate to deal with a virus or a disease and it explicitly forbids the executive branch from doing it. Uh, how much pressure uh, did you have like from stores and businesses that were asking you to enact a statewide mask mandate uh, to, to have uh, clear state rules? You're right. Uh, retail and other industries uh, came to me. They they saw the clear science that wearing a mask makes you less likely to spread the virus and less likely to get the virus. It is the number one thing that we can do to protect ourselves and each other. And if we don't have the ability uh, to have a mask mandate, it's pretty simple. More people die. That's not me saying it or creating fear. It's proven. Tennessee has never enacted a mask mandate and adjusted for population, they've lost twice as many people as we have. Uh, North Dakota and South Dakota didn't have mask mandates and uh, weren't putting capacity limitations in, into effect. Uh, adjusted for population, they've lost four times the number of people that, that we have. I mean, trying to limit what we can do in something as basic as wearing a mask in the middle of a pandemic, you know, uh, that's, that's something we shouldn't be doing and we should recognize the harm it could cause to, to those around us.
So, Governor, as things stand right now under the stay from the, the circuit judge in this case, uh, where do things stand? Uh, do, do bars and restaurants, gyms, salons, others have those restrictions uh, that uh, they did under your original orders? Uh, all of our orders are in place and effective. Uh, the, in the hearing yesterday, uh, the, the counsel for the other parties admitted that neither Senate Bill 1 nor Senate Bill 2 will have an effect for more than 30 days. And they admitted that under those, all of our current orders would be in effect. House Bill 1 is the only one that would have changed that. And that's where you saw the temporary restraining order. Now, the judges basically said, I want to hear uh, all the arguments because I may restrain Senate Bill 1 or 2 and ultimately rule on them, but we still have 30 days. And he asked us to see if we could work together. And Bill, I want your viewers to know that I've tried. Now, after I did the vetoes, I sent a letter saying, okay, here are maybe some ways that we can talk about this. Let's formalize a committee for reporting on emergencies. Maybe we connect the length of a declaration to a federal one. And I waited for, I think, a couple weeks. And then I got a letter saying, we don't have time to talk to you. We're going to override your vetoes. And then maybe we can talk later. So I'm trying and I'm going to keep trying. All right, we'll uh, continue to follow on this. All right, vaccines. Uh, you have said that we have a shortage of shots, uh, but you're also announcing new clinics. Uh, many have been frustrated, Governor, by not being able to uh, make appointments or, uh, uh, you know, even if they're in the appropriate groups. Uh, do you see that uh, rapidly changing? Well, it should be changing here for those that are in 1B, especially 70 and older, as there will be more and more appointments for them. Our, our, our challenge here in Kentucky is supply, supply, and supply. So if you look at uh, two weeks ago, we got 56,000 total first doses. We vaccinated 84,000 individuals, 82,511, I think is the number. So right now, the, the frustration arises from not being able to get an appointment because our website says where you can go and what the numbers are, but not being able to get an appointment is solely based on the fact that we don't have nearly enough. Now, the Biden administration has increased the amount we get by 21 to 22 percent. That's helpful, but if that gets us up to, you know, 65, 66, 67,000, we still have another 300,000 people in, in Group 1B at least. And then Group 1C is, is about 1.3 million people. So the only thing that will, that will truly uh, reduce people's anxiety is getting an appointment. And to do that, we need more vaccine. But... We're building the infrastructure right now to be able to handle more vaccine. We expect more in the spring. We hope for a whole lot in the summer. So I can't just be happy that, that we're doing 100% of what we get each week uh, in that week in our state program. I've got to be ready to, to do a quarter million shots or more in a week if we can get that supply. President Biden has uh, ordered that some vaccine be sent directly to some pharmacies. Uh, what impact will that have here? It'll have a, a small impact. It, it is additional to our overall state allocation, but it's a really small program to start. And the reason is that they want to uh, start prepping uh, these groups to be able to provide more vaccine when supply uh, significantly increases. Uh, they've, been, they've been really clear that it is a uh, small program, but it is one where they need to test the system and get the system ready to go. You know, I truly believe that we're going to be out of this uh, hopefully uh, in the summer. Uh, it looks like we will get a significant additional supply in the summer, and we got to be ready to do that as quickly as possible. 
Governor, the legislature is meeting right now. There's a, a lot going on there. Uh, we're going to pause for one minute. We'll be back with the governor of Kentucky, Andy Bashir, on Kentucky Newsmakers in just a moment. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers as we visit with the governor of the Commonwealth of Kentucky, Andy Bashir, who's uh, joining us today, answering our questions. Before we talk about the legislature, just very quickly, Governor, do you think uh, schools uh, will be reopening uh, on a large scale fairly soon? I do. Now, most of our schools across the state are already open to some form of in-person instruction. Uh, most of them in a hybrid situation. Uh, but vaccinating our teachers is the fastest way to get back to a more traditional classroom, and we're gonna be the fastest state in the country to do that. I think for our larger school districts, uh, you, you got some more considerations. You've got the density of the buildings, the ventilation. Uh, some of them are older. You know, I went to an older high school uh, in Lexington, and that was in the, the 90s. But still, uh, whether it is a hybrid or, or another type of model, we should see all of our systems get back to some form of in-person instruction. And as a parent, I'm more than ready. Lawmakers have to pass a state budget. You proposed a $12 billion plan that included raises for teachers and employees uh, in, in the state. Republicans want to go leaner. They say the economy is uncertain uh, and that your budget relies too much on one-time monies. Uh, you obviously disagree with that. I do, and so does our state budget director, and so do the economists that under state law set the amount of money that's available in the, in the budget. Um, you gotta believe your own economists and provided this General Assembly does, uh, we can have a budget that really helps people. We are in an enviable situation. Normally when you're dealing with the recession, which this virus has caused, you wanna stimulate your economy, but you'd have to borrow money, and then you have to really go through a hard decision. We have dollars both regular and one time where we can do some things that can help our people get through this pandemic. Uh, we have the funds to do a $220 million small business assistance program. We hear a lot of people talk about harm to small business. We can do something about it. Uh, we've got $50 million available uh, to try to get broadband to every single household in Kentucky. That's the infrastructure of the future. And some of the virtual uh, work and, and education and healthcare we're doing uh, isn't going away after COVID. It's gonna be a part of our everyday life. So right now is when we make a decision about where we're gonna fall in the post COVID economy. We can either have courage or we can be timid. We can be FDR or Herbert Hoover. I'm gonna choose to have courage because I want that bigger, brighter future for my kids and, and for everybody else's too. Are you counting on Kentucky getting help from Washington to uh, keep its finances afloat? So we have finances right now in a better place than we have seen in years. Uh, even in this pandemic, I've had two budgets uh, that through our fiscal management are, are both uh, going to be positive instead of negative. We've had some of the best months in terms of revenue uh, that we've had in years, even in the midst of the pandemic. So uh, we're gonna be solvent uh, regardless, but uh, I do believe we're gonna get state and local aid, and that's going to, again, allow us uh, to help people uh, that are out there. Uh, it'll allow us to, to shore up some parts of government uh, that we need to, to invest in some of our infrastructure, our IT systems, so I believe that that will be coming and it will be helpful, but 
Uh, we're, we're running a, a sound ship uh, here in Frankfurt. The historical racing issue is before the legislature after the state Supreme Court ruled that uh, the machines are not paramutual. As you know, the Red Mile, some others have shut down machines. Keeneland is awaiting clarification as its owners have plans for new facilities in southeastern Kentucky. Uh, those machines generated uh, billions of dollars a year. Do you uh, hope that a fix is found? I do. Uh, I believe it will be, and I will sign it as soon as it hits my desk. HHR is critical uh, for one of our signature industries, but it's also creating jobs and it's creating tourist destinations. You, you see um, different tracks that are engaging in large-scale uh, projects. Uh, you see uh, the track down in, in Franklin uh, looking at, at possibilities for hotels and, and other ways to, to bring people in. This is something we ought to be able to do and do quickly. The pension issue has returned to Frankfurt in the form of a new bill. Uh, one of the things it would do is raise the retirement eligibility from 27 years to 30 years, and it would also create hybrid retirement accounts for new hires beginning next year because uh, some say that uh, our current path is not sustainable. Uh, would you sign such a bill? So that is about the teachers' pensions primarily, and what that is is a pay cut for new teachers. Our teachers don't get Social Security, and that's why their pension uh, and the guarantees in it are so critical. If you take that away, that's, that's a benefit, just like anybody else who signs up for a job, then ultimately every year our teachers are making less money. I believe that we need to do everything we can to recruit the best and the brightest to teach our children, and that's going to harm our ability to do that. So no, I will not uh, sign a law that I believe ultimately cuts our teachers' pensions and their pay. Who is advising the, the Biden White House as decisions are being made about um, appointments in Kentucky and other decisions to be made? Uh, uh, the new president will be picking U.S. attorneys and filling some other positions. Uh, most of them have to get by Senator Mitch McConnell in the Senate. Uh, is he de facto in charge of screening Kentucky's appointments or is somebody else being heard from? Well, I think there's a number of folks that are getting to provide input. Uh, we haven't seen the process that the Biden White House is, is going to use, but certainly I've been asked by uh, the Biden administration for input. I know Congressman John Yarmuth uh, has as well. Uh, we work together a, a lot and have even discussed together, um, you know, the candidates that are out there. And you know, the great thing is we've got a lot of really talented people that are interested in, in a number of spots that are critical to Kentucky. You have said uh, time and again that you're not doing politics uh, in the, this uh, situation that we're in right now. Uh, but you've also not said whether you uh, plan to seek re-election in 2023, and yet several Republicans are out there making noise already. We have former U.N. Ambassador Kelly Crafts, the Ag Commissioner Ryan Quarles, Congressman uh, James Comer, the Auditor Mike Harmon, some of the names out there. Can you avoid this uh, next two years uh, of, of service uh, in this first term uh, being seen through a political filter? Well, I am, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm going to run for re-election. Um, I haven't filed. I've only been governor for uh, a little over a, a year. Uh, but even in the midst of a pandemic, I love doing this job because I love the Commonwealth. And I am so excited about our post-COVID economy and how we can build it. I'm excited on, on the advances we can make in education and in healthcare. And in healthcare, uh, the advances we've even made in the midst of a pandemic. You know, I'm a 43-year-old governor. I'm going to live in the, in the Commonwealth that we help build and shape after I'm done with this job. My kids 
are going to grow up and, and the opportunities they have are going to be based on the decisions we're making right now. And I believe uh, that based on what we've had to go through in COVID, that we have an opportunity uh, to treat each other with compassion and dignity, uh, to come together and, and to, to do things without uh, this veil of, of politics. And I think you see it in our other actions. You know, we just let some road projects uh, just at the end of last week. One is in President Stiver's district. So we're not playing politics because the, the residents of, of his district are, are, are residents of Kentucky uh, that, that, that I have to serve. So I look forward to doing this. If the people of Kentucky will have me, I look forward to doing this for another seven years. Governor, thank you very much for spending some time with us. We appreciate it for being here on Kentucky Newsmakers. And we're coming right back with a WKYT investigation of a hemp company that has faced social media challenges. That and more on the way. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. A Kentucky business has struggled to get attention, and like many others, its owners had wanted to turn to Facebook and other social media for that. But that has been a struggle, as WKYT Investigates reporter Garrett Weimer shows us. Even with signs and steady traffic on 27, for Kentucky CBD Pharmacy, it can still be hard sometimes to get customers' attention. We can get a store right on the main drag. We can get 30,000 cars passing a day. But when it comes down to it, a lot more people are going to see you staring at their phone than passing you on the highway. And that's, that's just fact. Owner Robert Matheny says his business, like many others, relies on social media to market, especially with the coronavirus cutting down on customers. How important is it that you have this tool to be able to use? We had to shutter our business for two months. We took on doing nothing but deliveries and mail order, and the bill still had to get paid. That's where clicks and views and shares go a long way. Instead, they've faced three-day bans on Facebook, been locked from inviting people to like their page, and unable to sponsor posts to get more eyes on their products, all after having a couple posts taken down, supposedly, for violating community standards. They're community standards for a reason. We follow them. We'd like to know why everybody else doesn't have to, though. We're a small business surviving through a pandemic, and it'd be really nice to <laughs> have that standard rather than a double standard. The standards say we try to enforce our policies as consistently as possible. That's basically all we're looking at there. Yet it doesn't take long on Facebook to find companies who are able to advertise CBD and hemp-based products. I can't understand how my page is constantly restricted. Matheny has appealed the restrictions and asked for help. Multiple, multiple times trying to get a response from them. And they said? Nothing. <laughs> Not a word. Exact same business, exact same products. Uh, exact same everything. So I reached out, echoing Matheny's concerns and asking, can you clarify or provide us with a statement in response? A Facebook spokesperson did respond. She told me in an email, we reviewed the page and have removed restrictions which were placed on the page in error. Matheny told me after that he was able to invite people to like his page again, but he still couldn't sponsor posts like so many other companies can. And we just released it like last week. Matheny says limitations on his account have made it hard for him to compete with other companies advertising hemp-based products on the platform. It's why he asked for clarity 
and consistency. This is our livelihood. We don't have anything to fall back on. We're here to help people. Uh, if the people don't know we're here, we can't help them. <laughs> that's, that's just basic math. There's clearly a market out there for the products. Despite the hurdles, Kentucky CBD Pharmacy has grown, quadrupled, Matheny says, in the two and a half years they've been in business. Most likely better than that. Uh, but I know if we had the proper means to advertise, it would be a lot more than that. But if they're going to keep these doors open... We just, we want that ability. In Jessamine County, Garrett Weimer, WKYT. COVID-19 has now infected more than 26 million Americans. Around 450,000 have died. And now President Biden is eager for Congress to pass his COVID-19 recovery plan. A bipartisan deal would be ideal for that, but there is another way in Washington. And our chief national political analyst, Greta Van Susteren, explains. Hello, I'm Greta Van Susteren, and here's your full court fast break. Congress at odds over President Biden's $1.9 trillion COVID relief package. Republicans are gawking at the price, but Democrats say they will push ahead without the Republicans. How? A process called budget reconciliation. It lets the Senate bypass the filibuster, a Senate rule that encourages bipartisanship. So instead of the 60 Senate votes generally need to pass legislation in the Senate, a reconciliation bill only needs a simple majority. With the Senate split 50-50, that means every Democrat would have to be on board for President Biden's plan. Then Vice President Kamala Harris would cast the tie-breaking vote. But there are rules to budget reconciliation. It cannot be used for every bill. It can only be used for spending, taxing, and debt limits, and can only be used once per fiscal year. Plus, proposals cannot impact Social Security or increase the deficit for more than 10 years. So with all these limitations, which parts of the president's relief proposal make the cut? Democrats will likely push through the $1,400 stimulus checks and enhanced unemployment benefits. Investment for vaccine distribution COVID testing schools may qualify depending on how the proposals are crafted. And Democrats will make the case for a $15 an hour federal minimum wage. But there's already a heated debate on that matter. Ultimately, the Senate parliamentarian will rule what proposals can be included in the reconciliation bill. Vice President Harris can overrule her, but that has not been done since 1975. Want more full court press? Tune in Sunday. We bring politics home covering the national stories that impact you. And remember, you can catch Full Court Press with Greta Van Susteren. It'll run this morning at 1130 on WKYT. And we'll see you bright and early this week for WKYT This Morning for Mid-Morning, our hour-long newscast from 10 to 11, and on WKYT News at noon. We hope you make it a good week ahead.